What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download. Also want to remind you that it's book season at Baseball America. It's not wabbit season. It's not duck season. It's book season. And the 2012 Baseball America reference books will be available soon. Go ahead and get your copies now and get your orders in now. You'll be the, the first to get them when they come out. Especially for the Baseball America Almanac, which will be first, really the last book of its kind. Of course, the Prospect Handbook, which just got complimented by uh, someone of the town of Cary who's uh, helping me find my son's uh, <laughs> basketball schedule. Uh, the Baseball America Directory, our Draft Almanac, which never goes out of season, and the Super Register. So go to BaseballAmerica.com backslash store for the Baseball America title that interests you the most. And, or all uh, four. Or all four, or, of course, uh, any other Baseball America gear. Uh, JJ, a uh, good time of year to subscribe because it's prospect season as well as book season. And we're all making phone calls, sending emails, pouring through databases that we already have, looking at the stats, and ranking prospects. But we did that really. Uh, one of the things that uh, we know, you, you know it's the end of the season when we're doing our minor league player of the year award meetings, and I think we started off our process thinking somebody was going to be our minor league player of the year, but we finished with a different minor league player of the year in Mike Trout, and I don't. I think when we started the process, we thought we were going to pick a pitcher. I think we thought and we were going to pick think, Matt Moore. I, th- I think I mean, we all thought Matt Moore was our, was our Huckleberry, and then the more we looked at it, the more we found uh, that we wound up picking Mike Trout in a pretty close in-house right. vote. And, le- and le- let's make it clear, and let's also, for, as far as vote, we do vote but this is not a – We're not a republic. We're, this is not a, okay, rank your top five and we'll give them in an ascending order of right. 10 points, 7 points, 5 points, 3 points, anything like that. It is we sit down as a staff, we discuss it, we argue it, and then we say, okay, so who do we think? And right. then we basically come back around and say, are we all accept, you know, happy with that decision? Pretty much. And – this year, I think the best way to put it is is we all, as a group, there were two guys who I don't think anyone would have walked out of that conference room disgusted Correct. if either of two guys got it. I think if we'd picked Matt Moore, everybody in the staff would have been happy. If we'd picked Mike Trout, everybody in the staff would have been happy. And we picked ended up picking Mike Trout. And I think the biggest reason that we wound up picking Mike Trout was once we realized just how unique his season was, in minor league annals in the last 20, 25 years, J.J., it made it stand out a little bit more. Right, because I understand. I, I know we saw some people, you know, we've, we've gotten plenty of comments today. Today right. we announced it, and we've gotten plenty of comments. And, and some, uh, I think, you know, if you're arguing someone other than Matt Moore, I have a little more trouble with it from the yeah, standpoint the Paul of Goldschmidt Paul Goldschmidt argument. had a great year. He did. And 
But at the same time, Paul Goldschmidt's year, while very good, was one of the best years offensively. Paul Goldschmidt's year and Anthony Rizzo's year, it's hard to say that Goldschmidt had a significantly better year than Anthony Rizzo. His year, honestly, it's not even a slam dunk that his year was better than your boy Neftali Soto. It was Neftali Soto. Well, but not when you put into context that Neftali Soto is a year and a half younger right. than Paul Goldschmidt. Right. He's 22. Goldschmidt's 23 for the year. will turn 24 here in a couple of days. And in the same league, same number of home runs, and only slightly fewer at-bats for right. Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt, better average, better on base. It was. But, it was slightly better. But, but in terms of the impact, the reason that you're giving Paul Goldschmidt, if you were going to make him your minor league player of the year, which I understand USA Today did, correct? Right. If you're giving him your minor league player of the year, it's not because he of his batting and on base, which were impressive, but it's because of his slugging and his home runs. Soto's numbers are pretty comparable, and he's a full year and a half younger. I'm just saying and that's just in the right. same league but the with big, worse travel, you right. know, for the, what it's worth. The big thing Degree that— Degree of difficulty right. where I'm headed. The, the big thing that jumps out with Trout, and Matt Moore had better counting stats from the standpoint of, if you look at it, okay, around minor league baseball, Matt Moore finished second in the minors in strikeouts. I would say that Matt Moore was slightly more dominant. Right. But— Really what this came down to is you do have to throw the context into it, which is, and that's where Mike Trout's season stands out, is the context of he was a 19-year-old for the majority of the season. Correct. He did turn 20. Through August, yeah. But through August, he was a 19-year-old. August 7th, I think. Okay. Through August 7th, I think it was, he was a 19-year-old. And as a 19-year-old, yes, 11 home runs, very difficult home run park. you got to remember one thing with that is this very difficult park to hit home runs in. Mark Trumbo is going to have 10 more, at least 10 more home runs in the big leagues this year, it looks like, than he had. The in, year he played at, uh, in, at Little Rock. The huh. year he played in, with the Travelers. How about that? I didn't know that. But, so, yeah, but, more like, but like you said, let's get back to Moore's candidacy real quick because I think it's a – it's a pretty strong year oh. to not win minor league player of the year. Oh, he, and and we're biased, as the sign over Aaron Fitz uh, signs, uh, uh, former cubicle here says. We're a little biased because we get to see him. He's right here in Durham. And, in fact, as we're recording this, he starts in two hours in a AAA playoff game. Um, so we got to see Matt Moore up close and personal. And Matt Eddy uh, went to go see him and Julio Toronto on back-to-back nights and came away just being like, hashtag not a scout, but Matt Moore's better, you know? And the scouting reports sound better for Matt Moore. He has better breaking ball, all, you know, the better change being, up. I would and say. And the main thing being, he throws lefty and Tehran throws Correct. righty. That's Correct. a big difference. It's a major difference. The other major difference is that Matt Moore is two years older mm-hmm. than Julio Tehran. Honestly, JJ, we ran into this last year, and it's crazy that we ran into it again. It's the same problem, and it's only a problem for us picking an award that really doesn't have a ton of meaning. Uh, it means something to us, obviously, and it does mean something, I think, to our listeners and readers because they have commented on it. But the Rays system is so unique, and they're so good at the big league level in terms of their pitching, and they're so disciplined in the way they handle their minor league pitchers. It affected last year's minor league player of the year award for 90% of big league organizations last year. Jeremy Hellickson would not have spent all through August – uh, through the first part of August in AAA. He would have been in the major leagues. Same thing with Matt Moore. He would not have spent as much of the time in AA as he did this year and the, his time in AAA. He would be in the major leagues. I was thinking about it the other day. I'm trying to think of the major league teams where Matt Moore would not be in the rotation right now. The Phillies, right? Yep. 
But he'd be up with the with the Braves with all their injuries. Right, with all the injuries. Before that, no. But if, if you're, no, if you're, but but if you're saying Mike Miner, Julio Tehran, and Randall Delgado have all made starts, yes, right. Matt Moore would have been in the big leagues right. this year. I mean, besides the Phillies, who else? In the, maybe the Giants? He wouldn't be in their rotation either, but... But, he, but honestly, with the Giants, Dick Tidrow would have taken him an A-ball and put him in the big leagues. Right. I mean, how many National League organizations would not have Matt Moore in their major league rotation? One or two. But let's put maybe. it this way. Let's and put it this American way. In the American League, League, the Yankees and the Red Sox are two of the teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Matt Moore would likely be at – he would be a definite playoff starter yeah. for either of those two for either teams. of those teams right now. I agree with you. There are just a very small handful of major league teams that would have the discipline and that don't have the need where he wouldn't be in their big league rotation by now. And that doesn't count against him. But you just have to, again, degree of difficulty is the phrase I use. He's a 2007 high school draftee, and 2007 was Mike Trout. He was barely in high school. He was 15. He was 15 going on 16 that year. He was a 17-year-old draftee in 2009. So a 19-year-old season in double-A Comparing it to a 22 slash 23 year old season in Double A slash Triple A, that to advantage me is goes to the 19 year old. Advantage goes to the 19 year old. And while Moore was more dominant statistically, because he was in the top three in ERA, was he not? He was in the top three in batting average against. If he didn't lead, he was second in strikeouts. You know, when we started the process, I was just like slam dunk, Mike, Tri- I mean, Mike uh, Matt Moore. Oh, and I was me. I was pretty much. In the, and then what happened is is and you said it in your column. Then Matt Eddy was trying to dig a little deeper, and so he asked or one of our, our uh, IT, IT guys, guys to basically, Tim Collins, to sp- say, spit out every year double A and above by a guy who was 19 Yeah. Dur- at some point during that season, you know, and played a f- basically at 300, I think it's 300 plate appearances or more, double right. A and above. Just spit out the stats for it. And not going back, we didn't go back to like 1900 or anything. Yeah, I think but, it was the last 20 years. But like Gary Sheffield's on there from his 1988 season. Must be the last 30 years. So Might have been the Baseball America era. Pretty much the Baseball America era. And Gary Sheffield's one of maybe two guys that you can point to and say, okay, maybe that season was better. Justin Upton's season to me in 2007 was mm-hmm. the best comp. He started the year in the Cal League as a 19-year-old, played about 33 games there. And then went to the Southern League, played 70-some games And then there, went up. And, and then w- finished the year in September in the big leagues. And his year for that 70-some game slice was very close to what Mike Trout did. And, the you know, it's Southern League versus Texas League. Uh, they're both teenagers, both right-handed hitting high school draft picks in their second full pro mm-hmm. season. Extremely comparable, I think, players, especially the physicality. Uh, is is similar. The difference Justin being that Upton was a six million dollar guy to high school, the number one overall pick in the draft, and his stats get a Cal League boost. And, and Trout's didn't. And Trout was the twenty fifth pick. In Trout the has a better, uh, uh, better walk. Uh, better percentage. walk strikeout ratio, and he has more speed he and way have, more significantly more speed. And that's not against Justin Upton, but I mean, yeah. we're talking. Mike Trout might be the fastest player in baseball. He might be the fastest player in the major league. He may right not now. be the fastest player on his team, or he may be the fastest. That's player right. In he's baseball. one. He's in the. I think he's in the, the the top five, and the other one of the other guy candidates is right next to him in Peter Borges, undeniably the fastest uh, Greek, half Greek, half Polish uh, person in the United States. I don't know if that's undeniable, but um, uh, very excited good. about Peter Borges. Yeah, it does sound good. Um, but Mike Trout doesn't have. I don't think Justin Upton's power. No, but. 
the difference. Although, if you, although if you talk to uh, area scout Greg Morehart, he may say he does. But that's what I was hinting at, JJ. Is that, you know, Justin Upton went first overall in the draft. Mike Trout went 25th overall in the 2009 draft, and that was part of the focus of your story was the Angels scouting of Mike Trout. And it's a pretty unique story. And I think you didn't write too much about this part, so let's explore this part because you and I talked about it. I don't think we got a great answer, J.J., of why in the 2009 draft it went Strasburg, Ackley, high school right-handed hitting outfielder, but not Mike Trout, Donovan Tate, who's starting to go down in Padres history as just another example of how the Padres Matt, can't Matt get... Bush is calling him up and That's going, right. hey, Donovan, exactly. uh, welcome to the club. Not, not, he's not there yet. That's it. But he's... Jake Gotro knows that secret handshake. Uh, Matt Bush knows the secret handshake. Mike Ivey invented the secret handshake back in the 70s. There's a lot of guys in that Padres first-round pick curse club. I mean, uh, I'm sure Steve Martin and, and Tom Hanks are back there too. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the five-time club. Yeah. But, I mean, it's there's a lot of guys in that club. Uh, Alan Dykstra, <laughs> Nick Schmidt, <laughs> you know, there's there's company there. But why was Mike Trout? It doesn't sound like Mike Trout. Well, he was he was higher on our board than twenty five, but he wasn't that much higher. He was like twenty two. We had Donovan Tate three. I was a big reason for that. I was doing the Southeast. Did you find anything in your research for this story that had why, what was the difference between those two guys in two thousand nine? Couple of things. And there's a quote in the story where Eddie Ben says, "You know, look, we had them two on our board, which they did. I mean, they they can." They can. There's a lot that? of Eddie Bain, the, oh, yeah. who was the scouting director for the Angels at the time, yeah. says we had Trout two on our board. There's a lot of teams now who like to say that oh we were on Trout too. Right. The Angels clearly were on Trout. Like there's no doubt about that. They also drafted him, so they get that. Right. We give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Their story is the most believable yes. because they took him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, I don't see how you could see 22 spots of difference because that was the difference between where Tate went and Trout went. But in talking to scouts and all. There's a couple things that come out. One is he was a New Jersey high school. Right. And that is a terrible yeah, go the into track that, record. Go into that New Jersey track record a little bit because that's, that's some bum, 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 names. The, the track record is guys like of first-round picks from New Jersey of position players is Eric Duncan, oh. Corey Smith, oh. and uh, Bill Rao. Billy Rao. Yeah, not good. And those, if you are ranking your draft busts of the decade, those are at least in, involved in the discussion. Because honestly, New Jersey, um, I'm not trying to harsh on New Jersey. Um, I'm just thinking like the Frazier brothers. There are three Frasers, and Jeff got Charles top out in Double A. Jeff got to the big leagues for a cup of coffee. Todd's there now, and I think he is the best of the three Frasers. And I like I like Todd Frazier. Now, I'll but, say this, though. I think, though, when you say New Jersey college, there's a little bit of difference, though, also in that from the standpoint of, like, with okay. Frazier, because you do have longer. You have longer you, evaluation. You have a lot, there's guys. a much longer evaluation there. Even, You're looking at Even it, the Rutgers guys have been somewhat disappointing. Right. Bobby Brownlee and Val Majewski right. uh, jumped to mind. But but the thing that especially jumps out with the high school guys is I I had at least one scout say to me, he said, I think that Bill Rowell really hurt him because he wasn't that many years before. Yeah. And coming out of that draft that year, the debate was whether Travis Snyder or Billy Rao was the best high school hitter in that draft. 
Yeah, I'm trying. Wow, Travis yeah. Snyder. Wow, you know he's been better. He's won that debate. He won but, that uh, debate. It's not a great debate, but it is. But also, yeah, I'm even thinking. You know, I th- actually think in New Jersey high school guys. I'm thinking Jack Cust right now. Jack Cust is That's almost not, like the success story. He is almost a success story. My son, <laughs> my son loved the fact that we have a Jack Cust Academy ad in Baseball America magazine these days, and. Uh, because that's a name that he knows. Because he he's a strap. Yeah, I didn't want to get too far into it. But, yes, that is why he knows Jack Cust. But, but that's a pretty – that's a daunting track record. And that so an area scout and cross-checkers – cross-checkers are going to ask area scout that area scouts that question. So what you have is, is you have – on one side you have the Georgia poli- semi-polished or considered at least more polished Georgia outfielder. And on the other you have a New Jersey outfielder. So that's going to work against Trout. On the other, you have, even though, if you look at it in hindsight, it's really hard to argue that Tate was a better athlete than Trout. But at the time, I think that the consensus was that he was because, for one thing, you had the idea of Trout was Trout's pedigree wasn't the same pedigree. Donovan Tate was the son of an NFL football, you know, running back. Right, so yeah, there was there there was that thought that well, this guy has a better athleticism too which and he had a two-sport commitment he was a football baseball recruit to north carolina right and he was also considered to have more physicality which again the kind thing about it right, is in like in hindsight right. none of those you know, and again there the angels did not believe that and there were you know there was the funny thing is is that the questions about trout at the time the legitimate questions were how well is he going to hit like the other tools were somewhat present tools he already could run. He was giving you four ones to first. Right. You couldn't really argue, oh, this guy can't run. Yeah, our prospects plus, I mean, Matt Blood saw him at the area code games in summer of 2008, and that write-up is pretty positive, but it says, like, hit tools a question. But and, that was also the question for Donovan Tate, which is But the I was going to say, the other thing is, is that was the Donovan Tate question, too. And so no one ever said that Tate was a polished hitter. Right. It was right. great athlete, great athleticism, power potential, could, if he develops the hit tool, he could be something special. And again, reporting on it that year, doing our draft coverage, I remember the comparisons for Donovan Tate were, if you liked him, that he was a Dexter Fowler type of athlete, potential Dexter Fowler type center fielder with more offensive impact. And like Dexter Fowler, there were significant questions about the hit tool. Dexter Fowler, I remember when he was coming out of high school, a scout telling me, He's a two-year rookie ball guy. He's got a lot of kinks to work on the swing. Now, very rarely do players actually play two years in rookie ball. That just doesn't happen very often anymore. But um, that just is, that's a scout code for we really question the hit tool. And that was said about Donovan Tate, but people did believe more in him. And the thing is, if you look at it in that context, Dexter Fowler in 2008 had a big breakthrough minor league season, played for the U.S. Olympic team in 2009, I believe, was his rookie year in the majors. So that was a positive connotation. Mm-hmm. If you're saying better version of Dexter Fowler, and I think scouts sometimes like the fact that he didn't switch hit because that meant only one BP. You're not having to maintain two swings. And, again, the physicality was stronger than Dexter Fowler. Um, right. But I the funny that, thing is, is in hindsight. Board, the but hindsight, everyone wasn't on board with Tate, but enough people were that we put him third. And the hindsight is, is that you look at Trout, and you could, if you said you had the same questions with them, but his frame was arguably better than Tate's in hindsight. Right. Right. You know, I mean, he's just thicker, more present strength, more present strength. As as the Angels area scout, Greg Morehart, put it, he said, Greg Morehart, the area scout who, uh, if you read the story, loved Mike Trout, believed (laughs) 
in Mike Read Trout the, more than anyone, yeah. more than anyone else. I mean, I, I think the Trout family may have been second on the belief in Mike Trout <laughs> behind uh, right. Greg Morehart. But, but Morehart had been around for. I mean, he was a a, a supplemental first round pick himself back right. in 1984, and he he said, "I've never seen a player at 17 with." the tools that that Mike Trout had the physical the physicality the the size speed combo all of that that was the the word that you come back to again is one of my favorite scouting words conviction mm-hmm. Greg Morehart is the poster child for conviction he had strong conviction about Mike Trout and didn't even need to see him perform that was my that favorite was, part of the story JJ is that he didn't even need to see him perform performing against actually, high school players against high school pitching was immaterial to him not only immaterial to be honest, he almost kind of that senior year, they were picking 24-25. He didn't want to see him right, that's right. dominate. That's right. Yeah, he wanted him to, to, to struggle he would, so he'd be there at 24-25. Right. And that's actually, there is some argument that that's somewhat what happened. The funny thing is, is you can't find an angel scout who came in, a cross-checker, scouting director. <laughs> who saw him good. You, that, who saw him great. Like yeah. you saw some who they'd see snippets, they'd see flashes. You'd see a homer. This guy would see a homer. This guy would see him run fast. But you didn't have... As we had, we had on our Baseball America on the uh, XM show, the Baseball America show on XM this weekend, yeah. we were talking to uh, 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 Nick Castellanos, right. and he made the point, he said, you know, if you don't hit 500 in high school, I mean, then are, right. are you trying? That's I mean, right. well, that's kind of, especially if you're not, if you're in New we, Jersey. We call the Scott Hurd line, Jim Callis and I do. If you don't hit at least, we, that was one of the things with the signing deadline. I know I'm on a tangent now, but like Scott Hurd. I think we had number one on our board in 2000. Yes, we did. Which we, ahead of Josh Hurd, Beckett, if I remember right. No, Beckett was 99. He was ahead of Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez, that's what it was. In the same town, by the way. They're both San Diegans. San Diego wins? Yeah. San Diegans. Anyway, uh, we, Scott Hurd changed a lot of things for Baseball America. Yeah. Before I, 2000, and 2000 and before, our draft list was where we thought you were going to get picked. Since then, it's where do we rank your talent? We put Scott Hurd one because we thought the Marlins were taking him one. Um, but also, he hit under 300 as a high school senior and never again. <laughs> Let me just tell you. And when the Red Sox had Senquez Golson up there and the negotiations on August 16th, and I was just doing some Senquez Golson research and realized he hit 314 his high school senior year. And I know he's a special athlete. But Which you Scott have to Hurd have not. you but have to have significant questions about the hit tool. You're dangerously close to the Scott Hurd line when you're hitting 314. So for me, the Scott Hurd line really mentally for me is like 350. If you don't hit better than 350 in high school, it's a sliding scale of where you like and where you play. Well, so yeah, I was going to say, and this is the thing in Mike Trout's case, New Jersey pitchers. He was expected to do more right. because he was facing a whole lot of slop. The Nick Castellanos rule would almost apply for Mike Trout. Right. He, Nick Castellanos said, you know, said, if you're not hitting 500, I mean, then, you know, I mean, are, <laughs> are, you, are you showing up? Are you closing your eyes and swinging real hard? I mean, that, so with Trout, though, he didn't have, he had a very good senior year, but there were a lot of games where he didn't dominate like there was some expectation he would dominate. And. The funny thing is, though, is is that in his case, every level as he's gone up, it's almost been like the more challenge he faces, the better he gets. Yeah, yeah, and he's um, well. So that was a big part of the story. The other part, like we just like we hinted at, um, that you wrote about a lot was Greg Morehart. Just that process of a scout falling in love 
head over heels with a player, basically. Just having that uh, man crush is not strong enough of a term, I don't think, um, and for the way that Greg Moorhart felt and how he really went to bat for this player. And the key thing with that, though, is, is that – so that's a key part of the story, and that's a key part of the why the Angels have Mike Trout. Right. They all – everyone with the Angels says, Greg Moorhart – about Greg Moorhart, we don't have Mike Trout. Right. Because he had an absolute conviction that this guy was a truly special player. However, it does go beyond that because there are a whole lot of teams out there. You've got to give credit all the way up in the Angels organization. Give credit to the cross-checkers because right. Jeff Malinoff, Rick Wilson, who's now the scouting director, right. uh, uh, Mike Silvestri, th- those guys, when they saw him, they bought in, even if not necessarily they didn't always see Right. Everything that you would expect to see. It's, it's amazing how so out of the, the the five main decision makers here were Morehart, the area guy, Silvestri, the East Coast supervisor, Willie and Malinoff, the national guys, Eddie Bain, scouting director. Well, Morehart's no longer an area scout; he's a pro scout now. Uh, Silvestri no longer in scouting. Uh, Willie, the scouting director, Eddie Bain no longer in the organization. Famously let go. Now scouting with the Tigers. Only Jeff Malinoff just still, two years later is in still the in the same, same position. Role. That is uh, that's an amazing amount of change. At the same time, there have been a lot of stability in the Angels organization prior to that. They've definitely gone right. through some well, rocky shoals the last couple of years. But so what happens though is is that and Morehart says himself what he says is give credit to him. He says give credit to Eddie because Eddie Bain was the scouting director and he believed in me. Right. And that is something that that's something that scouts we run into. It's funny. I think that down the road, I did get a chance to write about this in the story because. I mean, 4,000 yeah, 4, yeah. words was just not enough. To, and by the way, it did in a week. You, know. uh, you did all the reporting and all the writing in a week, so but, you're to be commended. All of it over the phone, by the way. None of those interviews were over the, were in person, were they? No. Yeah, it was pretty fun. But Pretty fun to sit on the office next to you and hear those interviews. But you go back, and Derek Jeter in 1994. Two. Or, 92, sorry, thank you. 92. He is the pick that kind of talked about, like, right. You know, how did he get to that point? And Albert you had Pujols is that a big one? Like, right. I was gonna say, and you had uh, you had in the case of Jeter, it was um, you had a scout for the Astros who was the former player. But you had a scout for the Astros, and I'm sorry Kyle that Kyle Newhouser. No, I, that's I'm, not it. I'm not gonna remember his name right now on the podcast. Only's written about him a lot. But he basically said, "Okay, well, clearly you do not believe in me, right? Because if you believed in me, you would have drafted this guy because this guy is clearly right the best guy, and right. he was." Albert Pujols, you have the you know the Fernando Arango Fernando story. Arango story where the, the, the Rays crop Rays Midwest cross checker had uh, say, says that he had Albert Pujols number one on his board. They worked them out with Dan Jennings, the scouting director there, but worked out Pujols at catcher because there were so many concerns about his size, and he just had a terrible BP. He did not take to catching very well, and the Rays didn't and take they, him even they, in the first twelve rounds. Obviously. In the first twelve rounds, and again thirteen, I guess they picked the head yeah, of St. Louis too, right? And again, it's something where the scout, rightfully in Arango's case, says, "Well, clearly, then right. you don't believe in me." That would have been my opinion. Especially, it's one thing when you're saying in Jeter's case it was pick six, right? And there was money involved there, right? When Pujols goals in the thirteenth round, yeah. and if you have a guy who, whether it's one, two, or three on the board, right, right. if you have a cross checker who has that guy as one of the top three talents in the in the you know in the game yeah in the whole draft in the whole draft or his whole, his his part of the is country, his part of the country and turns him in with a number that basically would put him as a top first round pick and you're not 
taking him with basically by the 13th round, you're at what pick? Pick. They, they were, yeah, well, Jason Pruitt out of Brookhaven College is who they took in the 13th round. Let's just, by the way, how epic, I mean epic, would the Rays draft have been that year? <laughs> Hamilton, Carl Crawford, Doug Wechter got to the big leagues, Seth McClung got to the big leagues in the uh, fifth round, Matt Diaz in the 17th round. That was a pretty good draft. I'm sure you had pools to it. Which, by the way, uh, I'm a little project I'm working on. So, in that, just a random aside, but in our first prospect handbook, the 2001 prospect handbook, mm-hmm. the Cardinals top 30 basically has one player who ended up having a significant big league career. Yeah, but Albert Pujols by himself means it was a good top 30. Yeah, Bud Smith's uh, no hitter doesn't quite make him significant enough. The rest of his career was pretty bad. And that that same draft. They also drafted but did not uh, sign Ryan Rayburn and Mike Fontenot out of high school. So that's pretty good, pretty good draft right. by but Tampa. So those were again, though, but those were the case where you had scouts who believed in a guy, and their organizations did not necessarily believe in them. So the area scout can be as convicted as he wants to be, but if the scouting director doesn't believe in his conviction or share his conviction, right. he's going to go nowhere with it. Right. And that's the thing is, is that what jumps out about this story is, is that, now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard a story. I know that I'm sure there were other scouts out there who liked Trout a lot. Right. In, in reporting this story, and I talked to scouts, you know, we, we talked to scouts for other organizations right. who scouted that area. We talked to, we went back and, you know, Aaron Fitt went back through his notes from when he was talking to scouts at the time. Right. right. And we have not found maybe that guy's out there. We haven't found another area scout who seemed to have that same absolute conviction that this is the best player he's ever going to see. There are definitely a lot of teams that, in retrospect, are claiming they were on trial. There, and, there, and there were teams who were. Now, I'll say this: if there's scouts out there, it may be the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees picked. Where did they pick in that draft? I think it was three spots, I believe, three or four spots after the Angels. They wound up taking uh, Slade Heathcott. Right, which they didn't have a choice because Trout right. was off the board. Right, and now we've the got, Giants were and we feel pretty early. confident. We got, we've gotten multiple people have told me in reporting the story that the Yankees had Trout number two on their board. Correct. So that's a conviction too. Right, absolutely. It didn't matter. They were picking Strasburg after. one, Trout two, and we understand that the Giants were on Mike Trout. Understand the athletics were on Mike Trout, and maybe the Diamondbacks, and maybe the Diamondbacks. That's right. But it's it, but the, again, but if you pick before him, too, that's if it. you pick before him now, yeah. and the, one of the things that came out the Diamondbacks was, had multiple picks before that spot too. Now, one of the things that came out was is one of the things with Trout was is that before the draft, again, this comes down to scouting. Yeah, there was a three point five million dollar number to sign him being floated out there. Which as, Jim Callis actually, I was talking to Jim today. He doesn't remember it as three point five. He remembers it as a big number, but not that big. Okay. But, I mean, that's the number I was giving, you know. But that, that's, yeah, we heard that pretty consistently when you were reporting right. the story. But whatever, it was a very large number. And some teams, there is some thought that some teams who liked him may have gone too much of a risk. Right. You know, high We like school, you, but we don't like you that we much. We don't like you that much. And that's when also, again, coming back to scouting, that's where Greg Morehart said, Draft him, I'll get him for slot. That's it, and, I, and, and it helped that he had roomed with the dad in the minor leagues. <laughs> Didn't hurt. Kind of had a relationship there. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Um, JJ, one other thing, on, I guess, on, on Trout that is worth talking about here. What's the future for Mike Trout in with the Angels? Um, he he went up to the major leagues, struggled, went back to the minors, kind of got straightened out, has been better. Since he got back. Significantly. He, they're, they're I mean, the, it's right. funny. 
had a two one of those, game. But one of those things you have to remember again, when you talk about 19 slash, I mean, he was a 19-year-old when he right. first came up, now he's 20. You talk about guys at that level. Mike Trout, his five home runs this year, already puts him in the top 10 of all time, Major League history, wow. for the most homers by a player in his 19, and a guy who was 19 as of June 1st on that season. Wow, I didn't realize that. that he's number nine right now. Every homer he hits will move Who's up. Who's number one on that list? Tony, Cle- Tony Conigliaro. Ah, Tony C. There you go. That makes sense. But, yeah, Sheffield I can think of got to the big A-Rod. teenager. A-Rod. Um, Robin Yount. <laughs> Robin Yount, who had two seasons. He was an 18 and a 19-year-old. Right. Well, they were buying him off of uh, golf, I guess, when they put him in the big leagues. Right. So you, you have to – it's like we talked about Justin Upton. Justin Upton was awful yeah, he when was he came good. up that year. Right. Justin Upton's now one of the better players in the National League. He was awful as a 19-year-old. Right. As a 19-year-old – I think relatively Trout, speaking, right. awful is a big leaguer. Right, awful is a big leaguer. I'm saying like when he came up, I think he hit 189 or something like it that. It was bad. He struck out a lot too. Trout's right now, as of today, I think it was. I can't remember his on base and slugging, but it was like he's he's basically like right at a 100 OPS plus. I think right now, as far as he's almost like league average as far as that. And that's it's crazy. 238 batting average with five homers. He's for a 19 slash 20 year old, he's now 20. For as a 20 year old, he's really holding his own pretty well. Even I know the the stat. There's a stat out there. It's like I think they're like 18 and four in games he plays in or something like oh, that. Oh wow! But that's a little bit of a junk stat. I mean, yeah. You know, that that's kind of how luck. many of those games were started by Jared Weaver, right? Or Santana and Dan yeah, Aaron. exactly. You know. But but what he's doing as a 19 slash 20 year old is actually pretty impressive when you consider how difficult it is. You look at like when A Rod first came up. A Rod struggled. His first, you know, the first time he hit the big league. His age 19 year in the minor leagues is the best age 19 minor minor league season. I think that I, I, we, we, we did our research. What A-Rod did at age tw- 19 in AAA was insane. And then he got called up at 19. I actually saw A-Rod's, what, his second game in the major leagues. It was in Boston. I uh, just happened to be at Fenway Park for that. So uh, back before I worked at Baseball America, that actually existed. <laughs> that part of my life exists. But it's crazy how – um, that small level of success as a teenager in that age 19 season, how that stands out historically. Right. Then that the, means, the that puts you in a rare, a very rare club already. But the immediate future for him, we, we've got the, the fast Greek-Polish guy, uh, Peter Borges, who's having a nice rookie season, a little bit better offensively, I think, than people expected. You've got Torrey Hunter, who's bounced back in August, still only slugging around 430 or 440, but having a solid year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's overpaid, but whatever. It's not our money. Um, and then there's Vernon Wells. And then what there's the Vernon Angels, Wells. Everybody, the, and then there's Bobby Abreu, too, do remember also. I forgot about Bob Abreu. So what are the Angels going to do? What do you see happening there? What do you think could happen? Because there's not another sucker out there to take Vernon <laughs> Wells' like, contract, is there? Is there? Is there? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Ed Wade, still general manager in, in, in Houston, but they're under mandate to, to get rid of their payroll. And uh, Maybe you could place them on waivers and the White Sox would pick them up. <laughs> what? What do you see happening for 2012? I mean, from a fantasy perspective, even I mean, well, he's got to play every day in the he, big leagues. You would, year, you would he? think, you would think, because the the one of the things that you have to do is is as a credibility as an organization, the players in your own organization can look around, right, and they know, you know, it's 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 obvious sometimes. The interesting thing when I was talking to a couple of guys about Trout, it's like, well. Not Greg Moorhart, because with Greg Moorhart, you could just project. You know, yeah. You could just basically say, okay, he's going to wear an Angels cap. And the his, guy's you know. original uh, report had an, a 72 OFP. So just for just for uh, comparison's sake, that's overall future potential. 
the first time I ever saw a really huge overall feature potential was on a bureau list in 1999, which was printed out, by the way, like on those giant printers. It was awesome. It took like days for that thing to print out. Um, I had Josh Hamilton with a 71. Right. That's just that's for comparison's sake. That's comparison. That's a future Hall of Fame OFP. Right. That's a future Hall of Fame OFP. But talking to others about it, and one of the interesting points made is, is that as far as Trout and steals, the really is like he can steal 70 if you want him to steal 70 bases. Right. The question buzz comes down to, though, do you want him to steal 70 bases? Right. Because stealing 70 bases is a lot of wear and tear. Eric Davis, early in his career, was a 2080 guy. Right. But he was a 2080 guy for 130, 125 games because you were going to have him miss time. Right. Trout can do that, or he may steal you 30 with some more power and with more games played while playing excellent defense in center or looks left like with field. them left field probably right. because they happen to have. Tory has befriended him, and he's in right field. Peter Borges covers uh, a lot instead of ground and center field. And it's well, really just a, it's really, an explosive center fielder. But the other thing is, is really what it comes down to that, you know, he's explosive center fielder, but also, and he got there first. He got there first, and I think that he means actually something. is better on defense. Right, he may Mike be, Trout. and yeah, and and really the grade is, is on him, because Trout is not considered an 80 defensive center yeah, fielder. he doesn't have. Borges. He's close, though. Borges, I think, is an eight. I think Trout's probably a seven. Right. He doesn't have Borges' throwing arm. No. I think that's an issue. That's, so, that's the one tool that he has that's not plus. Right. Although it's interesting, I was talking to Angel about They said, with throwing arm for an outfielder for us, is it exceptional or is it. It's 20 or, is it, or is, it, is it Johnny Damon rolling the ball into the infield? Right. And if it's not. We're going to start making that reference then to Ben Revere. We're rolling the ball yeah. into the infield. <laughs> now that Damon's pretty much a Which DA. is actually It's actually a uh, Carlos Quentin reference that we're using, That's but right. it's, we're, we've, we've adjusted where it. Where Jed Lowry runs out into short only right field and you underhand it. Listeners, we enjoy the podcast because only on a, you know, <laughs> we appreciate the fact that as listeners that you, we can just do that tangent there. That's right. And there are listeners who's going, they're talking about when Carlos Quentin needed TJ yeah. and how he had one throw in his arm for every game and that otherwise awesome. he would flip the ball to his the, the legend of Sam Fold or or Jed Lowry to run out as close as they could. Oh, the ball's hit to, to Carlos. I better hustle. This is the one time we wanted to make that one throw. Um, but yeah, it seems like that's the thing the Angels are going to have to figure out next year is what do you do but, with Vernon Wells? And it seems like the answer would be cut him and just eat it. But they've already we aren't even talking about the ten million dollars they're wasting on Gary Matthews Jr. So it's kind of amazing and, that they have basically well, is, five is Bobby Abreu maybe? I mean, is that like is maybe Vernon Wells next year becomes your gate? You know, your black. Well, hey, there's another problem. You could say okay, maybe he becomes your DH next year. But the problem with that is, is that if Kendrick Morales is back, right? That's you Kendrick Morales and Mark Trumba. I don't think DH is an issue is an off option because I think Abreu's DH'd most of the time this year and is still a productive player. He doesn't hit for as much power anymore, but he still draws walks. He's an efficient base dealer. And he helps to be that patient in the middle of all their other hacktastic guys. Trumbo, you know, certainly is still hovering with a 300 OBP, but he's still a productive player. Right, he's a, he's a bottom of the order hitter ideally, but he's, yeah. a, he's your number six. You know, your number six hitter who hits 30 home runs. That's right. That's a productive. He's productive, especially he's in especially especially while he's cheap. But especially while he's cheap, and especially in an era now offensively where you're not a 300 him. OBP is still below average, but it's not. 60 points off of the league average or yeah, anything like that. he's 30 points off the league average there, and he's well above average slugging. And it leads your team in home And if Morales is back and healthy, Morales is... He's probably going to have to DH after two years with a broken leg. So 
Yeah, I think that their options with Vernon Wells are really limited. Hey, Vernon, can you play third base? You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't think they really have a whole lot That's of That's Dusty Baker. He might uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, JJ, uh, wrapping up the podcast, let's look ahead to 2012. Got to imagine Matt Moore will be back in the minor leagues. <laughs> if he is, if he is, if he's he my is. slam dunk choice. <laughs> if he is, he's probably going to – it's going to be hard for him to win he's gonna, if he's too old this year. Um, I don't think we expect Bryce Harper to be in the minor leagues all year next year. But, but he, I'll say this, though. He possible. has a chance. He could do one of those where we go, okay, Is did he have enough of a season? Right. For me, he's the first name that I think of for – Possible minor league player of the year next year. Let's you, you pick a guy, then I'll pick a guy. We'll just keep, we'll just keep going to throw out some names of who we think could be on that on that uh, okay, so follow list to Harper. start next year. So I would say Harper is the first obvious guy to throw out. Harper is a pretty clear obvious one. I'll throw out. See, here's the tough thing. I'll throw out. I'm going to do two guys. You and can I'm, go as crazy. As I'm going to do a crazy. I'm going to do two UCLA pitchers, and I don't okay. know if either of them is going to be in, but. I could see Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer. Yeah. If Trevor Bauer isn't, because the thing about Trevor Bauer, everyone keeps talking about him being in the big leagues. That's a pretty, there isn't, there aren't that many holes in that rotation. Not right where, now. Where the Diamondbacks, he'll probably be up next year. I'm expecting he will be. Well, it's Ian Kennedy, Joe Saunders, Daniel Hudson, and I'm forgetting a veteran. There's a. Uh, we our internet's down today, yeah. by the way. This is why we were asking. We're just doing it off the cuff. And not answering them. But, but I expect he will be up, and I expect Cole. So I'm actually not going to throw either of those. I'm not. I'm mentioning those guys, but I'm backtracking because I don't think either of those is going to be in. You know, is going to actually be in that race next okay. year. But so I'm going to go Jerks and Profar. I think Jerks and Profar is a great suggestion because to me, I think actually Jerks and Profar. I think Jerks and Profar right now. I know that we did not in the midseason update, but the more I hear about Profar, it's nothing against Manny Machado. But I think Profar is a better prospect than, than Manny Machado. He very well may be. I, I think Jerks and Profar is a great pick. Uh, now, where is their high class A team? It's in Myrtle Beach, correct? Myrtle Beach. So, so it's going to depress his numbers it somewhat. It could depress his numbers, but if he puts up power numbers in that ballpark, now that ballpark is not what it used to be. They have brought the fences in. But I mean, like, one of the reasons that everyone liked Andy Marte so much as a prospect was that I think he was the first guy to slug 500 at, at Myrtle, Myrtle Beach. Beach. Uh, nobody slugged 500 in that ballpark. Frenchie did though, Jeff Francoeur. If he, it was like a half a season, but power numbers were very few and far between when that ballpark first opened. It's a little bit better now. And then Cody Johnson had a big year there, which is that's what Cody Johnson does. He hits home runs. He hits home runs out. and strikes out. But um, okay, so but back I to you. Say, I would actually go with Manny Machado. That was gonna be my next pick because the one thing that the caveat I have on Manny Machado is the Orioles might panic and bring him up, in which case his his progress would stall because that's what happens to all. Orioles guys, they get to the big leagues and they start to blow. And especially, the one thing, I'm doing the Carolina League top 20. Manny Machado is going to rank very high in that one. You can right. feel safe right. to say on that. But I've gotten multiple comments. Physically, he's not the, he's not what he's going to be yet. Yeah. He, there's, there's it's not, Bryce there. Harper is, Bryce Harper physically is what Bryce Harper is going to be. Right. Because he's a mountain right now. Right. Manny Machado. He's got his man strength already. Manny Machado is... A puppy who still has years where he's going to add, he's going to fill out. Like everyone keeps talking about his big feet, how big his feet are, and how right. how much his frame he has the frame to to be a massive player down the road. He's right. not there yet, right? Um, but I, so I, you know, I, I, I think see if he's him in the, having a big minor league season, which is just consolidating his uh, time, and if the Orioles can be patient, I can see him being at Frederick slash Bowie, or just a Bowie for the whole year, and 
it's a tough hitting environment, but again, his power potential I think is pretty significant. So that's back to back to you. I'm going to throw out. I'm going to throw out. And this one, I, I mean, I, I see a lot of reasons not to say that, but I'm going to throw Tyler Skaggs out there. And the reason nice. I just say that is, is that you are going off board. I mean, I'm going off board there. I know, but the reason I say that is, is in Skaggs' case, he's going to likely be in the minors all next year, and he's pretty polished to be in the minors. I, I barring injuries, because I do think Bauer is going to be the first guy. Up. I and I think that Jared Parker may be the second guy up if the D-backs that, need someone. That's where I was headed. So, and they even have, like, even a David Holmberg who has some polish. Pat Corbin. Pat Corbin. That's right. They have other they options. They have other options. Although Holmberg, I think, would be – Holmberg because he's a, he's a step below those guys right, right now. So. He just is a polish. But, but in Skaggs' case, so I think there's a pretty good chance that he's going to spend all next year. Now, the problem he's going to have is, is if he does – if he did win it, it would be Jeff Francis winning it when we had Jeff Francis winning it. Right. It's a guy whose numbers – it's a three ERA, and you go, you know what? Three RA in the PCL—that's right. really good. Right, It'd be right. something like that. I don't. I would. I wouldn't probably give. I wouldn't give you ten to. I mean, I wouldn't want to take ten to one odds on that. But he's just a guy who strikes me as really good pitching prospect, who's going to probably be there all next year. Who's far enough up? I mean, we could throw out you know guys who had great year. It very rarely does a Midwest League guy or a South right. Atlantic League guy win it. For right. Us. Very hard to do. I'm trying to think. Other than Andrew Jones, has anyone done it? Out of the South Atlantic League, I think that Bryce Harper could have done it this year. I think Jerks and Profar, he was. If you're talking about five finalists, he probably was our number five. He had a great guy. It was a, it was great, a great, great, it was year. a tremendous season. Okay. One of the Back most here, we're gonna do this one more time before we. Yeah, I was actually just trying to think if there was a pitcher I would pick, um, just to think about pitchers who could, who could be that minor league player of the year, and I couldn't really think of one. The the one the one who I did think of, and I will throw out because I don't think he'll be in the Midwest League because he was already there this year would be Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals. And that's just a guy where he's just electric enough. And, again, Nick Castellanos on Sunday night's Baseball America show on XM Radio, Sirius XM, XM 89, Sirius 209, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, but Carlos Martinez was pointed out by Nick Castellanos. is like, I don't know that guy's name, but he's a guy on the Cardinals, and he was filthy. And that is the kind of guy who – I was actually going to throw out a different Latin player. I was going to throw out Miguel Sano. I'll throw that's out another. two Latin guys. But the thing, the reason I pick Martinez is he's going to be in the Florida State League slash Texas League, and he's the kind of guy who, like, Matt Moore almost won it because he the strikeouts. Carlos Martinez has the electric kind of arm that he could strike out his way to that award. Miguel Sano, I would say, isn't that going to be in that mix as well when you hit 20 home runs in the Appy League? But it's hard to hit home runs in the Midwest League. Right. He may hit, if Miguel he has 20 Sano, next year yeah. in a full season, he still had a great year. That's right. And he, he could – wouldn't shock me if he hit 30 next year. No. Wouldn't, wouldn't, nothing that guy would do. It wouldn't shock me if he made 70 errors next <laughs> year. It wouldn't shock me if he went up at first base next year. He's just a big, big guy. But, wow, no. his BP was special. The guy who I don't think, again, I keep throwing out guys who I'm interested in but I don't think will be can. Dylan Bundy, very polished, yeah. very polished high school pitcher. The problem he's going to have is is that, Traditionally, with the high school pitchers, you put them on such short, right. such short pitch counts, yeah. such short leashes that I don't think he can put up the counting numbers to do it. Because I actually thought about throwing Jamison Tyone out because this year was his trial run, eighty to one hundred innings, that kind of thing, and then maybe next year the Pirates would step him up, be in the Florida State League, warm weather as opposed to West the West Virginia Power. 
all that kind of stuff where maybe he would have a big year. Could have a big year, but I just don't think, I think, especially comparing him to Carlos Martinez, I think Martinez is going to have a bigger year. I think Martinez will have a bigger year. I think he's got a little bit more electricity. The thing that Martinez and Shelby Miller for them, either of those might be up at some point. I will throw out the one, this is my dark horse okay. one. Okay. Is Oscar Tavares speaking okay. of Cardinals? Last year, Just, your dark horse was Billy Hamilton, right? Who did steal a hundred bases? He did. He did. If you he know. gotten off to a better start, he would have put himself in this conversation. He just, who knows how much the cold weather affected him? I mean, the kids from Mississippi making his first full season. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to go up to Dayton playing the cold in the in the depressed mid uh, Midwest League offensive environment. But Tavares, Tavares is really his best tool, and his I mean. Get beyond the hit tool, and the rest of them are solid, but right. nothing spectacular. Right. But it's a pretty spectacular hit tool. And the reason I say that is is, <laughs> I, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy to ever say a guy could hit 400. Cause that's crazy. That's crazy. Didn't but he, he, did hit he did hit 380 this year in the Midwest League. Right. Now, I guess I, I guess the Midwest League, I'm just thinking about what I just said. I guess it's not quite as offensively down as it was like in the years of Justin Upton and Cameron Mabin being there. still – Matt Eddy says you say that much more offensive it, now. It is more offensive, time. but at the same time, Tavares hit 380. I think the next guy on the leaderboard hit yeah. 330. And you said he could go 0 for was it 0 for he, 29? He, got, he won the title because I believe I haven't checked it, but I'm pretty sure he, with like four days to go, he if you added the 0 for 29, which he had to add to qualify, he still won the league by 25 points. That's that's amazing. That's really amazing. So I, I just think like if Tavares next year, which is going to be difficult. Florida State League, not exactly an easy place to hit either. But yeah, he no could get and maybe the Texas League at some point. But if he if he went out there and flirted with 400, I think he's a good enough prospect that we would consider him. I do wonder what it would take, what kind of season someone would have to put up in the Cal League, considering that we did not give the award to Brandon Wood the year he had 100 extra base hits. And we, and look, and we look wise in hindsight for yeah. not. It's like, it, it sounds bad, but he did Brandon, look at your Brandon Belt. You know, Brandon Bell's most of his numbers last year were doing it, right. and, and we did not. We considered him, but the reality of it is, is the California League is so offensive. You'd have to play like in San Jose, which is maybe the most normal park, and just go insane, and maybe be a catcher. No, no. Let me I ask you. Know, let me you ask do? you this. Let me ask you this. You're playing in Lancaster or High Desert. Four hundred, five fifty, six, seven hundred. I just don't think we'd give it to you. I don't think we would ever give it to somebody playing in those ballparks. I don't. I just. I don't think you can assess players there. I, the the one. The only guys you can sort of assess there are pitchers. And my all-time favorite <laughs> high desert story was the kid Chris Signs, who was not in our mayor, in our Brewers top thirty, um, and then he got to the big leagues for one a one game start. He threw six, I think, scoreless innings against. The Cardinals, like in 2004, a year they were really right. good. And I was like, "What? who is this guy? So I tracked him down when he got sent back to AAA, did a story on him, and found out that the year before he'd been in high desert and he had like a 7 ERA. Well, he had like a 10 ERA in home starts <laughs> and like a 4 ERA on the road. And it was impossible to assess. I don't, and then the thing is he had Tommy John surgery either later that year or the next year. And never got back to the big leagues. You look him up on Baseball Reference, S-A-E-N-Z, Chris Signs, And it's one of the most unique careers. You know, 100 years from now, he's Moonlight Graham. But the best way I put it is, is I mean, it, Daniel Bard took like two oh, yeah. years to recover from the fact that he had to pitch in the Cali. That's right. He went to Lancaster, and he was done for a long time. A lot of people wrote him off. You uh, did not. I'm very happy that I did not. Uh, take that one, Callis. 
That's it for the podcast. A great way to end it by me taking a shot at Jim. Obviously, we kid. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.